Well, good morning, church. I have to do better than that. Good morning, church. I'm David Crabtree, the assistant superintendent of NCAG, and I bring you greetings from Rick Ross, our superintendent. He's otherwise uh, occupied today in ministry, and so you get me. Sorry, you've got the B team. Uh, if, if Rick was here, you know he brings a tremendous amount of energy with him, and I'm going to do the best that I can not to be Rick, but to be me and just share with you. I've got three assignments this morning. Uh, the first is an announcement. The second is to preach the word. And the third is very special. Well, we'll just hold that secret until the end of the service so that anticipation will bring you to the place where you'll feel like you just had three lattes. <laughs> so it's going to build. Throughout the message, you're going to be saying, what's the surprise? And so you'll be, you'll be ready for that. We are 264 churches across this state. We are 700 credential holders and adding to those all the time. My wife, Sherry, directs our school of ministry across the state, and you are so engaged in that. But, and, and I want to recognize my wife. Sherry, would you, she doesn't like to be recognized. Would you please stand and be recognized, and we'll sort it out later. This is my wife, Sherry, and she's your go-to gal if you need any, anything with school of ministry. But you have a resident rock star in Donna Gordon back there. She does an amazing job. And so uh, we're so proud. We just kind of, we, we're, we're kind of, we're working on just kind of adopting her into our crew because she just does such a fabulous job. And so we're excited about what's going on here. A little bit of history I've been engaged with and I've known the Bird family now for 36 years. That's how far back it goes for me. Randy Briscoe went to school with me back in the dark ages just after the ark settled on Mount Ararat. We were in Bible college. Uh, we were in Bible college together. He graduated, and I got thrown out. And so, I mean, we just uh, we share we share so much. But uh, of course, with Andrew and with the team here, we are cheering you on. We're so excited about what God is doing. First, and I need to roll because I have three assignments this morning. And how many of you already feel a tick up in the anticipation for the third big surprise? I can feel it building in the room. But first of all, Pastor Andrew, would you come? And Kelly, would you come? Mm -hmm. Give it up. Give it up. We're excited what, at what God is doing across the state. Over the last several years, Pastor Mike Field at Hope Church in Charlotte has been our, our Charlotte, Greater Charlotte Regional Director, and he's had that seat on our Board of Trustees and has served so well, and we've moved him to another posting. And so Mike is serving us in, in another role. We continue to walk forward together. But as we were looking at the greater Charlotte area, it was immediately, it was obvious to us that the Lord was raising up a man for that task of helping us, drawing these churches together, bringing unity, a sense of purpose, moving us forward, but also bringing his voice to our board of trustees as we continue to expand the work across the state and that's Andrew Bird. And we are so blessed. Amen. Amen. And so we want to, we want to pray over him. <laughs> we want to welcome him to our board. Go ahead. Come on, give it up. This is exciting stuff. I'm going to pray for you.
We want you to extend a hand towards him right now, and we want to pray over him in this posting. Father, we thank you for Andrew, for Kelly, for this great church, for the calling you've placed on their lives, and also the place you've given them in the greater Charlotte community. We believe, Lord, that great things are in store, and we share. We share in vision, we share in purpose, and we move forward together. Thank you for what Andrew brings to the table. I pray, Lord, that you would give him favor with ministers all over this area, within our movement, but also outside of our movement. I pray that you would make him a bright light, O Lord, in a very dark, dark place. We ask, O oh, Heavenly Father, that you would grace him with every gift necessary for the days ahead. We applaud him, but even more so, Lord, we, we applaud heaven's calling and your work in us for this particular day and time. To that end, we give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 God bless you. I want to talk to you this morning about the fine art, the fine art of killing giants. Are there any giant killers in the room? Have you slain any giants? I'm not talking about just, you know, getting through to Netflix when your service is down. I mean dealing with real problems, big problems, life-challenging problems. I want to take you to 1 Samuel. It's a story you know, but follow with me. 1 Samuel, we'll start in... Chapter 17, just a couple of verses that grab the kernel or the core of the story. Starting in 48, 1 Samuel 17, when the, Philistine, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Can anyone guess what story we're reading this morning? It's David and Goliath. It's the little guy against the big guy. Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader. I'm trying to meet all generations here. And two verses capture the essence of the confrontation. David meets Goliath. It's the shepherd versus the warrior, the underdog against the overlord. And the little guy wins. This is one of the best-known stories in all of the Scripture. And yet, for many, it really doesn't connect on a personal level. Because, let's face it, we cannot cast ourselves as Goliath. I'm looking around the room. There's a few people who might be a little larger than others. I'm trying to look in no particular area. But none of us really qualify as giants, do we? None of us qualify as, as giants. We're, well, this is a stretch. We're normal. Or at least normal in size. And, and we can't really cast ourselves as David either. Because most of us haven't slain giants. Or let me put it this way. Most of us haven't had great heroic moments in life. I never won the game with the touchdown pass. I was totally unskilled in sports. I went towards the sports that required no skill whatsoever. I was a runner. I, was, I rode a bicycle. That's what I do, ride a bicycle or run, because I have no skill. 
Don't put me on the, I'm an absolute mess when it comes to hitting a pitch. I can't throw a football. I was Canadian born. The first football I ever threw is when I was 16 years old and we had just moved to the United States and they had a youth gathering in our church to meet the new preacher's kid and they decided let's play pickup football. That's all cool. And they asked me to be the quarterback. I was in, I still suffer the embarrassment of being an idiot that day. I didn't know what, I had never thrown a football. So not really, not really skilled. I've not known those heroes moments. And look at your life. How many moments have there been in your life where you can say, I was a David. I threw the stone that brought down the giant and it was a great victory. Most of us haven't got too many of those moments. So for the most part, we stand like Saul's army on a hillside watching Goliath come out and blaspheme God every day. It was referred to just a moment ago, the stuff that we watch, the stuff that we see, the things that we listen to. We live in a culture that is falling apart. We live in the midst of moral decay. We live in a dark day. We know this. But in many cases, rather than engaging giants, we're just kind of standing on the hillside and day after day, Goliath comes out and insults God and we're just there. We despise Goliath. We don't like Goliath. We talk about how strong he is and how unfair it is and how much the world would be a better place without Goliath. We all want to be David. But in reality, and this is a sad, I'm not trying to bring you down, but in reality, Goliath is rarely engaged. In spite of our brave rhetoric and some of our songs, some of our songs, wow, I've, I've gone, I've, I've, I'm in a different church every week, and so I hear, I hear what's coming out of Bethel, and I hear what's coming out of Elevation, and, I, and there's a number of other places that are, are pouring out some great songs, but many of them are warrior songs. And man, I listen to them, and this is how I fight my battles, and I slay the Goliaths, and I do, and I mean, you know, you just, you listen to those songs, and it's like, yeah! And at the end of the day, you say, all I did was sing because a lot of our songs are talking about things that we, let's be honest, never do. So, we, so that's why I'm saying sometimes we have a hard time relating to the story because we're not Goliath, but we're really not David either. You see, we need giant killers because giants don't just fade away. Giants have got to be taken down. Here's the good news. God will give you victory over Goliath. He will. He will give you victory. He will give you strength. He will give you wisdom. And he will, he will give you the opportunity and the moment. But you just don't wake up one morning and go take down the big boy. There's a few things you need to know along the way. And so, from the text in 1 Samuel that we just read and, and the remaining text around it, I, I want to just offer this short tutorial, an introductory tutorial on slaying giants. A little bit of background we find in 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 47. 
Here's some background to all of this. Saul is a new king, and here's what it says. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against kings of Zobah, against the Philistines, and wherever he turned, he routed them. Stop and think about that. Saul is on a roll. He becomes the king, and God blesses him, and lo and behold... Every battle he gets in, he wins. He wins. He's getting used to winning. We human beings are highly adaptable. We have a great capability, a great capacity for learning and for building on our successes. God designed the human body with muscle memory. How many of you ever saw the Karate Kid? You're not in trouble. Saw the Karate Kid, remember it was wax on, wax off. What was that all about? Wax on, wax off. It was all about simple movements that were necessary in defense in karate. Wax on, wax off. Over and over and over and over and over again until there is this interesting phenomenon called muscle memory. Muscle memory. I can't dance. I grew up in a culture where dancing would send you to hell faster than anything. <laughs> we weren't allowed to dance. So I didn't dance. And you say, well, that's a shame. And I kind of think it was too. But anyways, uh, I can't dance. You know, what, you know what I missed with dancing growing up? Muscle memory. So when I try and dance, I look like a stumbling lummox. I really do. It's, it's an ugly thing. You wouldn't want to see it. I, I won't subject you to it. It's just, it's, it's, you know, dance is all about learning steps. I, hey, I've been on cruise ships. There's a lot of people who've been dancing all their lives. They can't dance a step either. I mean, the entertainment isn't going to the show at night. It's afterwards going down, just kind of standing up above and, uh, in this cruise ship and watching, watching people stumble around down there. So I don't know that I've missed that much, but I do know this. If you're going to learn to dance, you've got to learn the steps. And the steps come down to muscle memory until you can dance and you can glide across the floor. And you don't even think about the steps that you're taking because muscle memory takes over. He designed us with the ability to memorize processes, to unconsciously remember, and to act at times like migratory birds that fly thousands and thousands of miles. He designed us. To learn things in life that become somewhat unconscious to us. We get used to something and it becomes almost muscle memory. Well, for King Saul, he got used to winning. Got used to winning. He secured a warrior's reputation by winning. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zoabites, Philistines, Amalekites. Wherever he turned, he routed them. Saul had confidence and this string of wins. And then all of a sudden, he faces Goliath. You read it. Read from the 14th, the 16th, into the 17th in 1 Samuel. Win, 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 Goliath. Somebody here is at Goliath right now. You've had your wins, you've had your successes, but you're facing something now that's bigger than you are. Your confidence is shaken, and you don't know where to even begin. Hence, I've come with the tutorial. 
on slaying giants. That's kind of life, isn't it? We're rolling along, things are going well, and all of a sudden we're confronted by something we never would have imagined. That's life. We adapt to pressure. We get used to a certain load. We cope along the way. We learn all of the, the steps. We win, and then Goliath. Cancer is a, a modern-day Goliath. I mean, all of us, all of us know about the body working to throw off viruses and, and healing broken bones and the pills work. And then the doctor sits you down and says, you have cancer. And the moment he says it, you're faced with a Goliath. You were able to throw that off and you were able to overcome and you were able to heal before and everything mended nicely. And now you're faced with something that kills people. And fear settles into your heart. You don't know how you're ever going to get past this one. It's bigger than you are. Suddenly, all of the old battles are forgotten. Hasn't he carried you this far? Let me just be, I'll get back to this in a minute, but has he carried you this far? Hasn't God been good to you? Have you had a few, I can't tell by your faces, so you're going to have to just, I don't know, shake a hand at me or something, but hasn't God been good to you? Is there somebody in the house who would testify and say, I can say this, God has been faithful to me. You see, when we are facing a giant and we don't know what to do, we have to look back at the track record of God, and when we're fearful, we need to understand that he's not. When we're shaken, we have to understand that he knows yesterday from tomorrow, and he has promised he will come to our rescue. But we face Goliaths. Maybe you're facing a giant, never seen anything like that. Well, Goliath is, Goliath is some kind of monster. He's about two feet taller than Shaq. That's big. The weight of his armor simply confirms his awesome strength. He's a freak show. He's a walking freak show. He's a, he's a lumbering nightmare is what he is. He's a widow maker. A killing machine. Saul has slain his thousands, and Saul has won his regional battles. And Saul has put Israel on the map as a military power, but Saul has never dealt with Goliath. So the armies are encamped. You got the Philistines over here on the top of one rise. You've got a valley in the middle with a brook running down through it, and you've got Israel over on this side on the slopes of a mountain. That's the way it is. You've got a little bit of a valley in the middle, and you would think the way they would fight the battle is everybody would come running down off of the mountain, and they'd meet in the middle, and there'd be a big clash. But that's not the way warfare always worked out. Goliath, who is the champion of the Philistines, steps out from the ranks. He's the ultimate warrior, and he issues a challenge, and his challenge literally shuts down the Israeli war machine. Shuts them down. He says, select one. This, by the way, historically was often done, not only in that day, but also back in the Romans, in, in the time of the Romans. Select one, send him out to fight, and it's winner take all. Winner take all. It's efficient, it's clean, it's decisive, it's not nearly so messy, you don't lose so many lives, it's not as confusing as Just select one and send, send us your best. Just one. 
Here's what Saul found out. He found that, 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 that one is too much if you don't have one. It sounds so simple, right? One is too much if you don't have one. And here's what happens. We've won a lot of battles along, along the way, and everything's been clicking right along, and we reach a point, and we recognize, I don't have what I need for that one. Because one's no big deal until you just need one, and you don't have one. This 17th chapter presents us with a 40-day stalemate. The giant comes out every day for 40 days straight. Talk about muscle memory. Every day he comes out and insults God, and he insults the people of Israel. And the people of Israel, rather than sending out their champion, they don't have one. Rather than sending out their fighting machine, they stand on the hillside and they listen to this over and over and over again. He comes out 40 days straight. Confidence is rising among the Philistines. Courage is falling in Israel. Goliath comes every day. And the Bible says the men of Israel ran away. <laughs> they ran away. Into this standoff comes the youngest son of Jesse, whose name was David. David's there simply to bring provisions. David is straight off the farm. David is the youngest. We don't know. There's a, there's a Jewish tradition. There's some rabbinical writings that give us some insight into why David was so much at odds with his brother, but we can't prove it. But we do know this. When you read about David and his brothers, you, you see something has gone wrong. You remember when Samuel comes to anoint one of the sons of Jesse and they all line up to be anointed? David's not there. You tell me, Jesse, you telling me Jesse doesn't have a servant he could have sent out to take care of the sheep so David could come and stand with the rest of his brothers? He, there's, there's something going on here, and because we can't prove it, I'm not going to throw it out there, but it is kind of fascinating. When David arrives here, he's straight out of the, he's straight out of the field. He's been taking care of the sheep. He arrives to just bring provisions for his brothers. He's got three older brothers in arms. He's hardly arrived, and Goliath comes out with his challenge. And David, in that moment, sees the big picture. He sees the potential. He sees the opportunity. He's deeply offended for God. And when David looks at the whole scene, he realized this is a, this is a God moment. This is not a Saul moment. This is a God moment. It's a courage moment. This isn't a committee meeting. This is a courage moment. He sees it as an opportunity. It's not an obstacle. We don't have to stumble over this. And he is stunned by the fact that no one steps forward. He's expecting, David, David is expecting that somebody in Israel in that moment is going to feel the anointing of God and say, God's called me to go take down the, the, to go take down the giant. He, he's expecting that, and it doesn't happen. David's standing there. Goliath insults God. He insults the people of Israel. He says, send someone out, and I'll deliver his flesh up to the birds of the air. And David's looking around like, well, possibly we haven't incentivized this situation as we should. And so he asked the question, what will be done 
What will be done for the man who takes down this? Here, we, let's read it from the scripture. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That's when you really want to be ugly. It's one thing to insult someone, but who? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who? That had a little bit of heat to it, didn't it? That's, you know, first of all, the people of Israel, they got to bear the reproach of the Philistine over there who's cursing them all the time. And now David stands up and says, who is this guy? Maybe you have the spirit of David in you. Maybe you're ready to engage. You trust the Lord. You aren't going to just sit on the sidelines. You, you hear this story and you say, you know, God has called me. God has called me to take down some big stuff out there. God has called me to something greater than what I'm doing right now. God has called me to a God has called me to a greater life. He's called me to a greater life. Is there anyone here who would say amen? God has called me to a greater life. God has called me to do more than I'm doing now. God is not finished with me yet. God is developing in me a warrior spirit, and God is raising me up to do something significant for him. God is calling me to a greater life. You belong to the right church. It's everywhere around here. God's called you to a greater life. Well, there are a few things you need to know. Three things. If you hear me preach at any time, you'll know my introductions are always twice the length of my sermons. So the introduction over. Three things you need to know. One, know your enemy. You got to know your enemy. We're fighting all the wrong things in all the wrong places at all the wrong times. A lot of people never engage the real problem. They never engage the real issue. They never take on Goliath because they lose their focus. And they don't know who they're supposed to fight. For David, that distraction comes in the form of his older brother named Eliab. So let's pick up. David, David gets there. Now he, he's there and he speaks out, say, what's going to be done for the guy who will take down the, the giant? In other words, why isn't somebody taking care of this business? And David's older brother is incensed. How many older brothers do we have in the room? You've got younger siblings. You know, nobody can make you madder than your younger siblings. My precious sister, my precious sister, my precious little sister, my precious little sister is considered to be angelic. My precious little sister is five years younger than I am. And my mother and everybody else still thinks she's just the most wonderful thing in the world. I can tell you, growing up, she was the, she was the needler. She was the, one who would, she was the one who would just pick, 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 pick. And I got in trouble all the time. Brat. She was a brat. She was a total brat. I hope she's watching online right now. She knows. Once dropped her down the laundry chute, she fell two stories, and it didn't even hurt her. I mean, the kid was, the kid was not only a brat, but she was supernaturally protected by God. <laughs> All God needed was dirty laundry at the bottom and didn't break a bone. Said, what were you thinking? I was thinking I want to kill her. That's what I was thinking. What was I thinking? <laughs> so don't do the laundry thing. You know, hit him with a car, but don't do it. I mean, just, you know. Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled 
against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? You see what he's doing? You servant boy, you shepherd. Shepherds were considered, they were the, the lowest of the low in, in, the, in the socioeconomic standing of the region. If you were a shepherd, it was at the bottom of the list. Where have you left your sheep? He said, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. This is a guy who's out there writing songs to God on the hillside, but his brothers believe he's evil. Something's going on here. And I know the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? <laughs> I love this. It's a classic brother's response. What have I done? What have I done now? Was it not just a word? And he turned away from him. Don't miss that. And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. This could have easily turned out to be a family brawl. This could have easily turned out to be the story of David and Eliab. Not David and Goliath. David could have been easily drawn in. There's some backstory here. We don't know it, but there's some backstory here. And David could have just thrown down in that moment and said, okay, right now, you and me, right here. Had, had enough of this. He could have called out his brother and said, you coward. He could have reminded Eliab, you're the oldest in the family, but when Samuel, when Pastor Samuel came, Remember with the anointing oil, with the big horn of oil? You remember? He passed you by. Who did he anoint with oil? Mwah. It was me. Me, not you. Me, oil dripping. You, dry. Me, called. You, dismissed. Who are you? He could have appealed to his other brothers. Okay, guys, time for you to stand up. You got to stand up for me now. You see who he is. You see what he's about. You see the envy. You see the jealousy. You see how small-minded he is. It's time for you guys to stand up for me now. He could have appealed to his brothers, but David did not engage Eliab, nor did he address his brothers. What did he do? He turned away. Oh, if we could only learn this. Many a Goliath goes unchallenged because we're fighting within the family. We're not out there slaying giants and changing the world because we're fighting in the church. We're picking at one another and we're arguing and we're holding on to every insult and we're bitter in our hearts often for our entire lives because of something that happened a long time ago that long should have been under the blood of Jesus and forgiven and forgotten, but we continue just to work that thing over and as long as we're working that thing over, we cannot see. We cannot see what God has placed before us nor the victory that he would give us because we're fighting in the family. Bickering. Bickering. Bickering will always bring blight. 
I don't know what's going on in this church, and Pastor Andrew has not paid me a nickel to say any particular thing to you, but I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you right now in Jesus' name, if you've got a problem with somebody in this room, you need to get it straight. You need to go humbly to your brother and sister saying, let's find a way to put this behind us so that we can grasp what God has put before us. And if you don't, rather than seeing victory down the, the line, it's just going to be vitriol for you. And the bitterness will eat you alive from the inside out. And I'm talking about the little things. Well, I walked in, she didn't even she didn't even say anything to me. Or I you know, she said that I was dressed inappropriately. Hurt my feelings. Oh, get over yourself. I love you in Jesus' name. I, I think one of the most powerful words that this culture need to hear, and we can't hear it because we're too sensitive, is this God from heaven shouting to his church, get over it! Get over it because we've got, we got a lot of things we've got to do. We've got a world that we've got to change. We've got a mess that we've got to clean up. And so we just got to get over all of this other stuff. It's irrelevant. It's secondary. It should go under the blood of Jesus. It should be washed away forever so that we might do the work that God has called us to do. There's a giant out there, and he's insulting us every day on the hillside, and we need to go take him on. Critical. I want to talk to the critical spirit. I didn't even plan on this. Critical. Critical. No matter what Pastor Andrew does, it's not right. No matter what Wes does up here with the praise and word, you don't think it's right. You, you're not sure you like the way this ministry's done or that ministry's done, and you think it could be better this way, and bring everything you can to the table. Be creative, but for pity's sakes, be positive. Help us move the ball forward, because we are, we are absolutely plumb full of critics right now. We don't, have a, we don't have another seat in the church for critics. They're all taken. Don't, we're not even taking applications anymore. You say, but I'm a good critic. Every critic thinks they're a good critic. Every critic starts like this. I'm just saying. Just saying. <laughs> Hello? Am I somewhere close to the truth here? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it's, don't, don't make it. It's not a big deal. But, you know, what are we saying? I have wisdom. I have insight. I, I, have, I have something to bring to the table. And a lot of critics are just frustrated people because they don't feel like their voice is being heard. And their voice isn't being heard because their heart's not right. And until your heart is tender before God... And until you love him with such a passion that you couldn't help but love Wes. And you couldn't help but love Andrew. And you couldn't help but love Donna. You, can't, you couldn't help but love Mike. You, you can't help but love them because you're so in love with Jesus. If your heart's not right, your spirit will never be right towards leadership. And rather than, rather than seeing a biblical result in the church, you get a critical result. And the critical result is pretty devastating. Critical. You're critical. Are you biblical? have ought against your brother, you go straight to your brother. Well, first I need to share it with some people. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this to you because here's the, here's the killer. I was a pastor for 35 years in one church, almost 40 years a lead pastor. I can tell you this is the way it works. I'm just sharing this with you today 
Because I need you to pray with me about this. You gossip. I just need your prayer support. No, you don't. You need to grow up and do what the Scripture says. And, and by sharing it, all you're doing is spreading the poison. I'm going to stop right now because somebody's going to throw a stone at me. There's a David out there saying, that's a Goliath up there. He's, he's attacking the way I operate. You know, bring it on. Oh, I got to stop. When you fight the family, you ignore the giant. We should bring, be bringing down giants not laying low the family. There are, and, and by the way, I see this most flagrantly these days in social media. I cannot believe what Christians do on social media. I wouldn't talk to my dog like they talk to each other on social media. As a matter of fact, I don't even have a dog. That's how, much, that's how low that is. I, I, I wouldn't talk to an animal like I would, I would talk to some of these people on social media. Mean, nasty, narrow, ignorant, uninformed, unbiblical, and these things shouldn't be coming out of our mouth, and we, we certainly shouldn't be drifting it out there on social media. Give everybody a great big break. Let's be spirit. Let's be people who are full of the spirit, and the fullness of the spirit is not demonstrated in how mad we are. It's how full of Jesus we are. It's the love of Jesus flowing out of us and in everything that we do. David turned away from Nehemiah. He turned away from Nehemiah. Or, I'm sorry, he turned away from Eliab. But why did I say Nehemiah? Oh, I know why. He turned away. He pulled a Nehemiah. I love Nehemiah's story in the Old Testament where Nehemiah is rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. It's been a rubble, and he's rebuilding the walls, and there's these wicked guys around him named Sanballat and Tobiah, and they're conspiring against Nehemiah. Nehemiah is doing the work of God, and these guys are trying to bring him down. And so they're always after him, saying, come meet with us, come meet with us. And Nehemiah knows they're going to ambush me. They're going to they're do harm to me. They're going to try and pull this work apart. And Nehemiah resists every time they say, just come talk to us. Just come meet with us. Just Give us a few moments of your time. And Nehemiah finally sends them a message, and I love it. Pastor, you need to know this. Because I'm telling you, man, I've spoken it a few times over people. Nehemiah sends a message to Sanballat and Tobiah, and he says, Listen, I'm doing a great work here right now, and I can't come down. I'm sorry, devil, you cannot have an appointment. I'm doing the work of God. And what does David do? He turns away from Eliab and renders him irrelevant in the moment. Now, if you're Eliab, that's going to tick you off. But Eliab's never going to kill any giants. As a matter of fact, you know how many times Eliab appears in the Bible after this? None. He is never mentioned again. David says, what have I done? And goes right back to Goliath. Some of us never make the shift. So if you're going to pull down or if you're going to bring down the enemy, you need to know your enemy. Two, know yourself. Know yourself. When Saul heard there was a man who was unafraid, he brought him in and the first question he asks him is this, are you qualified? That's what he wants to know. You're just a boy. I'm looking at a boy over here. I got to know, what are your credentials? Are you qualified? And a lot of people get stuck right there. And they say, who am I? Who am I? 
Saul says, what do you got to bring to the table? And you go, well, you know, I really don't have anything. I don't know why I even stepped forward. Saul is a pragmatist. He just looks at David and he, he looks across the valley at Goliath and he makes a very reasonable judgment. And he says, from the scripture, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth. He's been a man of war from his youth. And David knew that Saul was half right. He'd never beaten a giant. He'd never wielded the big armor or fought warriors with a big sword. He had not been prepared for warrior, for warrior duty. He, he'd completely bypassed Fort Benning and Paris Island, Fort Bragg. He'd never really been prepared. You notice I threw in army, brother. You know, I had to throw that in for you and had to mention the Marines. But anyways, I know, I know. Don't send me hate mail, Air Force people. I love you. I love you. Giant killers don't let objections, even good ones, get in their way. Giant killers don't let objections, even good ones, get in their way. David recounted that indeed he had not killed any giants, but he had killed a lion and a bear. I love that. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Here's the, here's the teaching point. God prepares us for the great things in our lives with the little things in our lives. It's the little things. He entrusts us with the little things. You know, you say, I, I just don't know that I can go out there and love the lost and love the world. Can you love your wife and can you love your kids? Can you love the people in your small group? Can can, it, can you love the people at work? I'm just not sure that I can really. But God will prepare you for big things with little things. You put the principles to work in the smallest things. It's muscle memory. Wax on, wax off. It's, it's, doing the, it's, it's winning the small battles to prepare you for the great challenges in life. He prepares us for the big things with little things. And he entrusts us with little things that we might win there and then move on to greater challenges. And when Saul heard of David's courage, when he heard David say, the Lord gave a lion over to me and the Lord gave a bear, the Lord did. Not David didn't say, I'm strong enough to, but the Lord, the Lord delivered me. The Lord delivered me. The Lord, David's confidence was not in his own strength. It was in the strength of God. It's the Lord. And when Saul heard this guy's courage, Verse 38, then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head, clothed him with a coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I can't go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Now when it comes to killing giants, God will help you if you will be you. God will help you if you will be you. Saul's armor was Saul's armor. It wasn't David. I don't know if you've noticed before, but I'm not Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen is Joel Osteen, and he's got Joel Osteen's armor, and he battles with Joel Osteen's calling, but I'm not Joel Osteen. If he's not your favorite preacher, he's not, not necessarily mine, but he's one of the guys that's out there. I'm not, you may not have noticed this. It's a subtle thing, but I'm not T.D. Jakes either. I can't do T.D. Jakes. I am so white. 
I've tried to do some TD Jakes. I've tried to get the cadence and the timing and everything else. I've tried to do that thing where you just go, and you go walking off like, and everybody cheers. I do that, and people look at me and say, what's wrong with you? That looks like a nervous tick. <laughs> I can't be TD Jakes. I love, I love to hear him preach. Some of, the, some, of the, some of the moments in my life when I've desperately needed a word, the Lord has used that man to speak something that's caused the Scripture to come alive within me. And it's been, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I praise the Lord. I'm different. We're, we're not the same. you got to recognize who you are. I cannot move in an anointing that's not my anointing. Your pastor has a particular anointing for this particular time in this particular church, in this particular place, and it's different than Mike up at Hope, and it's different than Stephen Furtick over at Elevation, and it's, it's different than all of these brothers and sisters who are working all around him. He moves within his anointing. The moment he tries to move under somebody else's anointing, he'll fail. So you got to be you. It's a terrible thing in life to wish you were someone else. To rather than embrace the beauty of God's redemptive work in your life, to wish you were someone else. And in trying to be someone else, you actually you fail, you fail twice. You can't live someone else's life. And in trying to live their life, you're not living your own. So you don't live their life and you don't live your own life. Where are you? You're stuck somewhere in the middle. It's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing even to succeed on the highest level, but to fail at authenticity. God made you to be you. And just a word, just a word for those of you who are always saying, oh, it's the end of the world. The man has never been more evil than it is today. My goodness, look around us. Watch Fox News, watch CNN, watch MSNBC. Don't, but watch whatever one you, whichever one you watch, just you, you watch them all and you go, oh, the world's just coming apart at the seams. You, you watch the news every day and you will despair. You get all caught up in all of that, and before long, you're right up to hearing the political stuff and everything else, and you're just being eaten up with all of this. Oh, look what the world's come to. And before long, you think in heaven, Jesus and all the angels are going, what in the world are we going to do? It's all out of control. What are we going to do? And Peter says, I don't know, Lord. I'm not sure. Either Jesus wasn't enough when he came to this earth, or he has it in control. And he knew these days were coming. And lo and behold, he designed people to live right in the middle of it. And you're one of those people. So stop wandering around complaining about the times and recognize that God has equipped you. He has anointed you. He has called you. He has made you. He has shaped you to live right in the middle of this mess. I look around me and I, I no longer look at all of this and just go, oh, this is such a mess. Oh, what are we going to do? I look around and go, this is the greatest opportunity the church has ever had. And God made me to live right in the middle of it. We need to be a people who recognize this is our time. And those of you who are old, I am now old. I qualify for social security. Hallelujah. And I know, I see it in your eyes. You're looking at me and saying, there is no way that you are that old. Thank you for that. I felt it was like a sentiment that rolled across the, the room. And you said, I wouldn't have guessed you a day over 45. Thank you for that. Thank you. I have discernment. I can hear what's going on in your spirit. It's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for that. It's a terrible thing to succeed even on the highest level and fail to be authentic. It's a terrible thing to be so caught up in your shiny army 
and your shiny armor that you forget to fight. Here's the kicker. Everything God needs to bring down Goliath is already in you. He just needs all of you. He's already put everything in you that you need. All he needs is all of you. He needs that moment of surrender, that full surrender, where you just say, Lord, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. Doesn't matter what it is. That's when you see the miracles. Whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. Do you remember he turned the water into wine at Cana when his mother put him on the spot? So what are we going to do? This wedding is going to pot these poor kids. They're going to live with the stigma of this forever. The parents really let them down, but somebody's got to do something. And Mary went to Jesus and said, you got to fix this. And she, then she turns to the servants and says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And they must have felt like big idiots when, when they're pouring water into those big jugs. They needed to be pouring wine, but they were pouring water, and they didn't even realize, well, they were just doing the work, pouring water. Every, every time they'd pour water in, the moment that hit the bottom of the jug, Jesus was turning it into wine, and the best wine, Right? We need to just recognize that the miracles happen when we just do what he called us to do. But he needs all of you. And if he doesn't have all of you, you'll stumble and you'll hesitate in that moment. Know your enemy. It's not your brother. Know yourself. It's not about somebody else's gifting. David walked out of Saul's tent that day with nothing more than he carried in. That's crazy, isn't it? He walked out with nothing more than he carried in. A nine-foot armored killing machine. A predator versus a shepherd. A shepherd with a tunic, a slingshot, and clarity about who he was. That's all God needed. David knew his enemy. He knew himself. Finally, know your source. Let's read it from the text, verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down, cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there's a God in Israel. Don't you love this? And that all his assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he gives the enemy into your hands. At this point, David didn't hesitate. He ran. I love that. The Bible says he ran. He closed the distance. If anyone read Malcolm Gladwell, he's got some wacky books out there, but they're great, they're great entertainment. If you've not read David and Goliath, forget all the other stuff in there, but just the core of the story. Gladwell gets a lot of it right. So you've got Goliath, and he's outfitted with all of this armor and everything, the spear and everything else, and all of that is made for him to stand on level ground, and enemy comes, Goliath takes him down, uses his great strength to wield the big sword, and he's so strong that if the enemy does get in a thrust, it bounces off his armor, but it's made for, for solid ground. Goliath is up on the hillside, and he's got all this weight and all this armor, 
I mean, he's, he's like, if you ever met a guy who's so bulked up, you wonder how he even moves. You know, it's, I mean, you run into those guys. I've seen some guys who are pretty pumped up, but you, you see a guy who's just massive, and it's like, I, I got a hundred stories. I can't tell them. I, anyways, here's Goliath. He's massive, and he's got all this armor on, and he's standing on a little bit of a downhill slope. David runs down off of the mountain. We know he stops at the brook and he grabs some stones and he starts running up the mountain. If Goliath wants to go meet him, he has to start moving down. Have you ever gone down with a big load? Goliath is immediately on the wrong kind of terrain for fighting. I just say that, and I grabbed it from Gladwell, but I just say this to say to you. You look up there and you see Goliath, and you think he's got it all together, and you think he really knows what he's doing, and, and you think he's unassailable. What you don't understand often is he is on really unstable ground, and it's not going to take a whole lot to bring him down. You with me? David doesn't hesitate. He runs. And what that must have looked like for the army encamped on the height. You've got Goliath as he begins to lumber down the flank of that southern hill. And David just sprints forward and he stops at the brook and he takes those five stones. Why five? I think David's determination was this. If I miss the big boy with the first one, I'm loading again. And if I miss with stone two, I'm loading. He had five stones. I also know the fact I read later in the scripture that Goliath had four brothers. That might be the fact, that might be the thing also. I don't know. Don't know, don't try and make gospel out of that, but it's the truth. And so he's got five stones and he's running towards, he's running towards Goliath. He's sprinting towards this human tank. And he takes one of those stones and he begins as a slinger. They were called slingers. As a slinger, He's got that thing going around. It's simply a little pouch with long bits of, of hide that hold it together on either side. And, and the slinger would sling it around his head, let go of one of those, of, of those strings or, or one of those attachments, and it would open up. These guys were so skilled and so talented working with that slingshot. The slingers, some of them, some of them could knock a bird off a post. They were absolutely amazing. David goes goes up and he's, he's swinging that thing. He lets go of that strap. And when he lets go of the strap, that stone flies straight and true and hits Goliath in the one unprotected place in his armor right between his eyes into his forehead. Just so you'll understand the velocity, we know because the Israeli army has done some testing with this, we know that a slinger at his very best can hurl a stone at 110 feet per second. That means it takes less than three seconds to cover an entire football field. It is about 40% of the speed of a 9mm round. That's quick. That's going to take you down. You say, well, why didn't... I was chucking stones. Why didn't Goliath duck? <laughs> First of all, the armor got in the way. Secondly, nobody's that fast. David slings that stone and boom, right into the middle of his forehead. It sinks into his forehead. And he's down. Imagine that moment. All of Israel is watching when, the Goli when Goliath, who had been lumbering down that hillside, when all of a sudden there's this moment where he stops. And then he drops. 
take God out of the equation and David got lucky. Actually, David just got a little help. Wasn't luck, it was the Lord. And for our sakes, God has developed a guided missile system available to Christians everywhere. Did you know that? He has developed a guided missile system. For every giant, there is a stone. You'll never know that when you're huddled up on the hillside, living in fear, fighting with the family, trying to be somebody you're not. The stones to bring down a giant aren't found up on the hillside. You find them in the valley, in the brook, when you've already started running towards the battle. You find them, you don't find them up there with everyone else who's talking about what they're going to, you separate yourself from the crowd and you go someplace and you, you take down in the valley, down in that place where you've met with God in the, in the silence and the solitary moments of your life, you reach down and he will, he will put into your hand a stone that has been perfectly shaped for the giant you're trying to bring. I think he's got some stones that curve to the left. I think he's got some that are like a slider. They just kind of, but they take down the giant. I don't, however he shapes those stones, I don't know, but this I know. You don't just grab a stone off the side of the mountain because it's not going to be a stone that is worn smooth and round. What does it take? It takes the brook, it takes the stream that keeps pushing that stone down and shaping that stone until it is perfect. God has done the same. You face giants, you face adversaries. God has been shaping a stone. Who knows how long God has been shaping a stone so that when you stand on that day and say, I'm going to trust him, and you reach, he will put in your hand exactly what you need to bring down the giant in your life. He shapes those stones. He shaped a stone for your giant. You can't order it on Amazon. And you don't get the stone on the mountaintop. Everything that I have been equipped with in my life to deal with hardship, everything I've been equipped with has been given to me in the valley, not on the mountaintop. I found on the mountaintop, I don't really get a whole lot. I'm too busy celebrating. I'm jumping up and down and getting sunburned and looking all around and enjoying the view that God has just given me. And isn't this wonderful? I'm living in victory. I'll tell you, there's very little that I receive in those moments except just a, a spirit of praise, which is wonderful. But you know where I receive what I need to really deal with the enemy? It's when I'm in the valley, when I'm in the hard place, when I'm reaching around saying, okay, what is it that God has for me in the midst of this? And it's in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our trial, in the midst of the valley, that God will give us exactly what we need. God made the brook that shaped the stone, and David found it as disaster was approaching. How long are you going to live in this standoff, frozen in fear? incapacitated by some giant in your life, your past, your habits, your limitations, your fears, your old, broken-down muscle memory that has you not in the habit of winning but losing. How long? Listen, the battle is the Lord's. Know your enemy. Know yourself. Know your source. Slay the giant. There is a greater life waiting for you, just beyond the giant. So I just have to tell you, 
it's time for you to go find that stone. Time for you to go find that stone. Just walk down into the valley. Don't be afraid in the valley. Walk down in the valley in the midst. For some of you who are really going through it right now, I want to encourage you. You thought you were really going through it and you were far away from God. You're really going through it and you've never been closer to him. He's near those who are afflicted and brokenhearted, the Bible says. Those who are heavy, burdened, and weary. He's not departing from them. He doesn't make distance. He moves even closer. For those of you who are really going through it, God is closer now to you than you've ever known in your life. If you can only open your eyes and say, okay, Lord, in the midst of my affliction, meet me here. Meet me here. Meet me here. Because God wants to make you a giant killer. And Father, I pray. I pray, Lord, for this family. I pray for these soldiers. I pray, Heavenly Father, for these who walk with you to see your kingdom advanced in all of the earth. I pray, Lord, that you would speak a word of encouragement, that you would strengthen them, that you would strengthen them. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would put the spirit of David in them, not the spirit of Eliab. I pray, Lord, that you would take from us anything that would keep us from moving in faith, trusting you, O Lord, to supply what we need in the moment in the greater challenges of life. I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we bring our lives before you and we just kind of lay it out and say, Lord, you know. You know I've got some bad muscle memory going on. You know I've... I've just run the same circles. You know I've made mistake after mistake after mistake. You know all of these things, Lord. But I, I want to put all of that behind me now, and I want to do one thing. I want to hear from you, and I want to walk in obedience to your command. And, Lord, you'll meet us in this place as we surrender to you because we truly want to see the giants fall. We want to see the giants fall. And if that's you this morning... If you're feeling it right now, I want you to do Amen means simply, so be it, Lord. And if that's you this morning, I want you with your, I want you just to simply to say to him right now, Amen. Amen. Come on. So be it, Lord. Amen. Amen. So be it, Lord. So be it, Lord. I want you in these moments take care of the third assignment and I'm going to ask Pastor Moises would you join me here on the platform just so excited about what we're about to to do Rosie I'm sorry Rosie you need to join us also how many know that he's nothing without her come on Come on. He does, and if you don't know that, we're canceling this whole thing. <laughs> Moises has completed all of the requirements, first of all, educationally, to take the third step that Pastor was talking about and has already been recognized in our district as an ordained Minister, There are three levels, credentialed, which is certified level. Then there's a licensed level. The highest credential that is offered in the Assemblies of God is that credential of ordination. 
Sherry, would you help us, please? And I'm going to ask Pastor and Kelly, would you come also? The highest credential that we offer is the ordained credential. Now, what's the difference, you say? Well, the bottom line is this. Ordination is our fellowship recognizing the authenticity of the call of God, the power of God, and the effectiveness and fruitfulness of your ministry. Ordination is you know, the, the state gathering of ministers, the 700 of us rising with one voice to say, we approve you, but we realize that that's just almost like ground clutter. That's just noise in the background. God approves you. God's power and his presence is upon you. And so when we ordain, we are saying we fully recognize God's calling on your life and his positioning of you in this body and in this world for ministry. And so as we, in this time of ordination this morning, lay hands on our brother and his wife, I want you to take part with us. We used to do this at our district gatherings and everybody would get dressed up and we'd do it. It'd be somewhat of a ceremony. We realized with COVID, something good came out of COVID. We realized that the power of ordination is in the local church where a pastor serves. And we've been, over these last few months, I've been in so many different churches and ordaining uh, people who have been approved by our board of trustees and by our ministers it has been so powerful for the local church to be taking part. And so I want you to join with us. Would you stand with me? And do we have a, a musician who can help us with the piano? Just something that's appropriate to the moment. Moises and Rosie, we honor, we honor you and your obedience to follow after God. I know that your life path has taken you in directions at one point in your life you never would have imagined. And I want to tell you that the path that lies before you is a path that is so good in God, you cannot even begin to imagine it either. Be very careful that you don't buy into one future and just say, oh, there it is. That's it. That's my future. But let the Lord unpack his plan and his will for your life. I challenge you from 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And I challenge you with this text because unless you're obedient to this text, all of your good works and all of your efforts will ultimately fail. You have been called to proclaim the word of God. You've been called to preach the gospel. There is no higher calling. Do not stoop to be a king. Don't let anything pull you away from the calling to preach the gospel. The only thing that has made a difference in their lives is the gospel of Jesus. Oh, certainly people opened the door and somebody was there to welcome them into the kingdom, but it's the gospel. It's the word of Jesus that changes us. And so I charge you. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead upon his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience. 
and teaching. For the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But you, but you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. We place this stole around your shoulders. The Latin for stole really means covering. And this stole represents the covering of God and the power of the Spirit. The grace of the calling that He has literally placed upon you. Never fail in that calling or, walk to, or to walk in that grace. I'm going to ask Pastor and Kelly to join Sherry and I as we lay hands on you. And in this place, would you stretch out your hands and pray with us now. Father, we thank you for Pastor. We thank you, Lord, for your calling in his life, for his dear wife, who you have brought by his side to share this miraculous and marvelous day. We thank you, Lord, for his diligence in his studies and the fruitfulness of his labor. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the graciousness of his spirit, for the light and life of Jesus that is so obvious in his life. We pray now, O oh Lord, that you would empower him by the Holy Spirit to go to places and achieve things he never thought possible. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would deliver him from presumption, that he would never for a moment presume that he can fully understand the richness of your calling in his life, but rather, as you open every door, may he embrace the future you lay before him until that day when the door of heaven opens and he steps through to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I pray that you would pour an anointing on his life. An anointing meaning literally the presence of God. May it be visceral that people around him could feel it and see it. I pray, Lord, that signs and wonders would follow as he ministers in your name. I pray that you would guard his heart against discouragement. I pray that you would give him a very clear understanding of who he is, but even more so who you are. Until that day you call us home. May he soldier on according to your purpose and may giants fall. And we ask it in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now would you give up? Would you just give up an offering of praise? Hallelujah. Come on. Hallelujah. 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 I'm going to, at this point, I'm going to step away and leave the stage with, with your pastor. Let me say this to you. It has been such a privilege to be here today. I don't know why in the world all you great people are in this place. I'm just glad I could kind of walk with you today and just experience the house.
so excited about what God is doing in this place. Let's go kill a few giants. Amen. Amen. Let's thank Brother Crabtree for a wonderful message. Hallelujah. Just want to remind you on Wednesday night, we have Grow Night. Chick-fil-A is this week, so make sure you sign up. We're doing our evangelism series. I'm already seeing a lot of engagements out there. You're praying and reaching your community. Thank you for doing that. And also School of Ministry information meeting on the way out. Listen, God is calling you to a greater life, as Pastor Crabtree was sharing with us. Don't get distracted by the enemy that you shouldn't be messing with. Turn away and slay a giant. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.